This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello, and welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror films from the classic, the camp, to the cringe, through the lens of disability. I'm your host, Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you here. So, what is on the examination table for this episode? Well, I wanted to change things up, and instead of covering a film, I thought, you know, we have been going for just shy of 30 episodes. Maybe it's time to uh, kind of reflect back on some of the things that we've noted about disability representation and presentation in horror, and also talk about, well, where are we going? What are some trends that we're seeing? Because we've also covered some new films, and I think they have given us quite a bit to talk about as well. Now, to me, this seemed fitting because I've tried to cover a pretty wide array of different films from different eras, hitting on different subgenres, and so I thought this is a good kind of take a step back, reflect on where we've been, and let's talk about where we might be going. Do you know what the most frightening thing in the world is? It's fear. I think that one thing that has been a consistent across the past 26 episodes and really across all of the films that we've talked about here at Bodies of Horror is that there are few things scarier than lack of autonomy when it comes to your body. There are few kind of quicker ways to ramp up tension and fear in a film than to have a character that is immobile and in peril. But one thing that has stood out to me that I have found really interesting is that particularly when looking at older films, the story is never about the experience of disability through the perspective of the disabled character. It's always about how that person is perceived and kind of their functionality within the world of the film. Regardless of what this character's function in the story may be, protagonist or antagonist, the villain, disability is simply used as kind of a shorthand for othering. Now, certainly disability in a general way has been used to other characters and more. But in order to really explore some themes around representation even further, you have to look at subgenres. I want to pull here from Kristen Lopez's amazing piece for Pangoria called A Brief History of Disability and Horror, and I'll link this in the show notes. What I really love about this piece is the great description of two distinct depictions of disability across 
two different subgenres. And Kristen begins with talking about the monstrously disabled. And this obviously connects to the kind of creature features and the monster films um, of the 30s and a little bit beyond. And what she's talking about with the monstrously disabled is characters like Frankenstein or uh, Gilman. I might go as far as to also throw in some of the characters from Freaks into this pod as well. When we're talking about the monstrously disabled, we're talking about characters that aren't maligned based on their actions. They're not maligned because they're murderers, because they're evil beings. They're simply maligned based on their disability, their physicality. They're seen as monstrous, not out of action. So I, I really loved that Kristen painted that very clear depiction there. And then she goes further to state that it wasn't until we get into the slasher era that we begin to see the disabled monster. I really love the way that Kristen kind of describes the contrast between the monstrously disabled and the disabled monster. So I'm going to use her own words here. It wasn't until the slasher era of the late 1970s and early 1980s that the monstrous disabled segued into the disabled monster, where characters like Gwynplaine from The Man Who Smiles and Frankenstein's monster were tragic figures of pity. The slasher often presented disabled people as bloodthirsty and terrifying. So, of course, we're talking about characters like Leatherface and Jason, and I think that you can still see bits of the monstrously disabled and those characters as well. I think what Kristen is really getting at here is just that the monstrously disabled are characters that we are meant to view as tragic characters. We're meant to have a, a strong amount of pity for them, despite, despite the consequences of some of their actions. The disabled monster, so characters like Leatherface and Jason, we're not necessarily supposed to have pity for. They are acting out of a viciousness, a cruelty, that the monstrously disabled don't. Now, having talked a bit about Jason and Leatherface in a previous episode, I think that you can also understand where there's kind of a blurring of these ideas when it comes to these characters as well. We don't completely lose a sense of, I guess, pity uh, to the characters. I think especially in certain kind of iterations of Jason and Leatherface, there are these moments where we are supposed to kind of take a step back and say, oh, well, yeah, they're absolutely horrific uh, people, but man, you know, their situation is really fucked up too. So there is kind of a blurring there. And I think that um, Kristen does a, a good job at kind of laying that out in her descriptions 
as well. To kind of wrap up the conversation on these two depictions, I do want to go back to Kristen's uh, wrap up here as well, because I, I think that she concludes talking about the monstrously disabled versus disabled monster in a, a cool way by framing it around the victims in the films themselves. So when we think about the monstrously disabled characters, oftentimes they are the victim in their films. When we are talking about the disabled monster, the victims are often individuals that have shown them kindness. Or on the flip side of that, individuals that have come in and represent a society that doesn't value their existence and the disabled monster will often react in kind of retaliation to that. It's the idea of why Jason and Leatherface don't often kill outside of their home turf. It isn't that they necessarily just want to go on killing sprees anywhere, everywhere, but it's about maintaining a sense of safety and a sense of place where they do belong. And when others come in, they will murder to protect the sanctity of that space they've created. I want to switch gears a little bit and look at the other side of the coin. So I've talked a little bit about the disabled villains or antagonists in some films, but what about our heroes or protagonists? And what are some things that we've noted about disability representation there? Well, I think that you really fall into an area often of inspiration porn or inspo porn. Basically, what this boils down to are characters that have to essentially overcome their disability. Writer Allison Stein wrote a piece for the Washington Post called Some Horror Movies Take a New Approach to Disability, Fetishizing Deafness. And she talks a little bit about the idea of inspiration porn. Now, within the article, I should note that she marks this as what she sees as an emerging trend, that it is something that she's seeing more common uh, in film and really a response to the films that I've just talked about. More explicitly, she describes the inspiration porn emerging trend to her as being uh, a reaction, an overcorrection even, to the depictions of a disabled villainous character. And so what are we talking about when we talk about the inspiration porn? Well, these are characters that are often viewed as almost magical in a lot of ways, that having a character that is simply disabled will not do. They have to have some kind of special ability. Now, I would be so bold as to say that this also extends to characters that we see as being as much of a victim of their disability as they are the killer, be it 
another person, uh, a creature, an animal, whatever the case may be, but they're as much a victim of their disability as they are a victim of the of the killer that's hunting them down. And it's only through overcoming their disability that they are able to survive. Taking a step back from the world of horror films, when we are talking about inspo porn within the disability community, we're really talking about a wide array of things, but an example I will often uh, use is you know, those videos that will pop up uh, on your Facebook feed of, you know, video of child hearing for the first time after getting a cochlear implant. These videos, although understandably not intentionally meant to harm, puts a, a certain narrative in place that equates a value of life with overcoming your disability, with being able to hear. And that's not the positive message that I think many people believe it to be. I've talked often and with frequency about how much I hate the idea of a character needing to overcome their disability to not only have their own perceived value, but perceived value by others. But an example that comes to mind for me explicitly that I've talked about before is Ruben from Insomar. His value is not as a person, but as a prophet, because he has been given this extra ability due to his disability. He has value to the Harga community. Now, as I mentioned before, Alice references this in her piece as being something that she's noted as an emerging trend. But I would argue that this has been something that has been you know, part of the disability representation in horror for quite some time. I mean, you can even find elements of it in Freaks and in a lot of the monstrously disabled um, films as well, because it's often another ability that those characters have that allows them to have some value. All right, so we have talked about things that we've kind of covered here on the pod. Some of the things that we've noted as being a huge piece in the representation of disability and horror. But now let's talk about what the future holds, where representation of disability and horror may be going. Along with the new flesh. All right. So let's talk about what I see as, I guess, emerging trends in disability representation in horror and where I see things going. The big one I'll start with because I honestly think it kind of impacts some of the others is disabled actors being cast in horror and playing disabled characters. Now, despite disabled actors really being visible from the beginning, going back to Freaks, but that certainly hasn't been the norm. We're starting to see with newer films, disabled actors take on lead roles. I mean, you've got Milton Simmons in A Quiet Place and A Quiet Place 2. You have Skylar Devonport 
a legally blind actor who plays a blind character in Steve for me, Kara Allen, an actor that's a wheelchair user and was in Run. We have a long way to go before it's the default, but I think just those examples in very recent films show that it's something that's occurring more and more, and I don't think that we'll be retreating from that, and that's really exciting. Now, the other component that I hope if I do an episode like this again in the future that I can speak on is disabled folks behind the camera. So directing, writing, really putting shape to the stories that are told with the actors. Now, obviously connected with this is diversity in individuals that are cast, individuals that are telling the stories so that you get more of a rich landscape of stories being told and how they're being told. This isn't just connected to the types of disabilities portrayed because it's obviously very important that we're showcasing the wide kind of spectrum there, but also other types of diversity and highlighting intersectionality. Disability is something that occurs across all demographics and all walks of life. And having that perspective in the stories, I think, is really crucial in terms of where we go next. It's only appropriate to use a quote from Skylar Davenport to really put a pin in this. And that is, uh, when asked in an interview about the importance of disabled casting, she said, I also think it draws a different reactions out of the other actors. I'm not knocking anybody that doesn't cast that way, but in my opinion, why wouldn't you? I love that quote because it speaks to kind of the common sense and ease of choosing to cast disabled actors. The next thing that I want to talk about is story. I think that it plays very nicely with what I've just talked about in terms of kind of casting and who are the individuals telling these stories. So once you have those individuals in place, you begin to see shifts in the stories themselves. I think we are going to see, we're starting to see, and we'll continue to see, stories that center individuals with disabilities and not just base the stories on their disabilities. I think we'll see complexity and nuance and be able to have a more holistic uh, appreciation of a character as opposed to them simply being a representation of a disability. So often, disabled characters have either been completely sidelined, or when they are front and center, they are simply that representation of their disability, like I just said. But we're starting to see things shift. Going back to A Quiet Place and casting Millicent, Millie, as Reagan. She added so much complexity to her character. She was able to bring in authenticity to that experience. And I think that that's something that's really crucial when telling these stories, is that when you have someone that has that lived experience, that's part of that storytelling, it 
certainly becomes a whole different world. And so I, I'm glad that we're starting to see stories that go away from these broad strokes of talking about the disability experiences and really looking at specifics and letting these characters really become fully developed and interesting and complex. Disability isn't a monolith. And the more that we expand the world and, and tell these kinds of stories, the more that's emphasized. And that's a really good thing. The last thing I want to hit on here is how I see stories changing a little bit with the times in terms of how culture and society play with disability. As disability becomes more discussed and more visible, and we're talking everything from children with disabilities and rare conditions to older individuals that are dealing with the impacts of aging and conditions like Alzheimer's, dementia. So as these things become more discussed in general and specific ways, I think society, the way that everyone views disability and individuals with disabilities has certainly shifted. We're not just confined to the two pots of monstrously disabled and disabled monsters because society doesn't see disability in just those ways. And I think stories are beginning to and are certainly going to continue to reflect that. To wrap things up, there is something I want to bring up that is connected with where disability representation in horror is going. And that would be the COVID-19 pandemic. The COVID-19 pandemic has obviously impacted the way that disability is starting to be viewed through uh, the societal and cultural lenses. And that's obviously going to have an impact on how stories around disability, characters around disability are formed. And I think it speaks to why individuals with disabilities need to be at the forefront of telling those stories. I mean, we're still in the pandemic and who knows what the future holds with that. So there's certainly the aura of unknown. But I guess I'm, I'm somewhat interested to see where that path kind of leads. That pandemic has and continues to have a devastating impact on those of us that are disabled. And I think it goes without saying that the pain of all of that and the just the the multitude of ways that the pandemic has not only impacted our lives but has impacted the way that society treats individuals with disabilities and 
conceptualize their own uh, fear of becoming disabled. I think it's all, I think that all of these things will, will somehow be bleeding into how all of this is told in the future. It will just be interesting to see exactly what shapes it may take. Well, I think that's a good place to kind of close down this episode. I thought I would do something a little bit different um, and just kind of have a, a more broader conversation about disability and horror as opposed to just honing in on a specific topic or a specific film. Although I guess this was pretty topic driven as well. But I hope that you enjoyed it. As always, please feel free to reach out if you have thoughts on where you see disability in horror kind of going in the future. I love hearing uh, from folks and would really love to hear what people have to think about that topic in specific. I think it's really fascinating to, to think about. You can shoot me an email at bodiesofhorror at gmail.com. Of course, make sure that you have subscribed to the Anatomy of a Scream feed wherever you get your podcast. I say it every episode, but I just can't express my gratitude for Anatomy of a Scream enough. I love that this is Body of Horror's home, and I am feel really honored to work with such an amazing group of folks. And one of my favorite shows on the feed, White Ladies in Crisis, is going super strong in season two, just covering some fantastic movies, and also just started their coverage of season two of the Apple series physical. So I'm a huge fan of that. And so I am thrilled to have their coverage of physical back as well. I think they do such an amazing job. So lots of stuff to check out. So make sure that you are subscribed. I'm super excited for the episodes that I have in store. It's just going to be, I think, a really a really exciting summer. I'm looking forward to it. So I hope you stick around and until next time. The Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad.